Legend of Zelda will date for eight months, two weeks, six days, and one hour. This television program is the comprehensive account of their relationship, from A to Z. Hello and welcome to Chats the Television Podcast, Season 13, Part 4, A to Chat Z. This is the fourth series in our season on shows that didn't air 13 or more episodes before getting cancelled, which we've been calling 13 Under 13. I'm one of your hosts, Alan, and I'm joined by a good friend. Now, is he really an aficionado, or is he just another white guy with a podcast who knows a lot of stuff? It's Magellan. (laughs) (laughs) You like that shit, buddy? You like that shit? (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely just a guy who knows stuff. White mm-hmm. guy who knows stuff, that's for sure. With a podcast. With a podcast, yeah. yeah, yeah. The the line in the episode was, I'm an Indian guy who knows yeah. stuff. So I didn't want to give you that one for some reason. Well, Dinesh didn't even say that about himself. It was uh, Andrew's dad saying it. So <clears throat> Please, anyway. Pete, Pete. Pete, 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 Pete. I feel like that's the go-to name for like a family member you're not happy with in a sitcom. Oh, Just Pete name him, is here. Name him Pete. Ugh, Pete. Classic My brother Pete. Pete. Hey, Peter. 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 Uh, this is the number one Family Guy podcast this side of the indie podcast scene. Peter. About Pe- Peter. Uh, I recently told somebody that I'm an, I love what indie podcasts are doing. They're doing a lot of really creative, cool stuff. And meanwhile, you cut okay. to all of the like quote unquote indie podcasts that I do and listen to, and we're all like, Peter, my ass is on blast. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, yeah, hey, part of a scene, part of an artistic movement, something, something. Uh, creating comedy parodies of art is art in itself. In okay. a way that you can't make on a like triple A big budget podcast, you can't do that joke. And if you can, it's like, I don't know, it's the what's the stupid sports website Barstool, and they're doing a podcast where the whole point is that it's irreverent. But we're reverent and also making Family Guy jokes here on A to Chat C. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, I just wanted to get me there. I just want all I did that for was to get me there. John, I hope you're well, but I'd like to get right into it. So don't tell me how you are. Um, well, thank you, pal. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, things we're, are we're, tough, but yeah, we can talk about it another time. My wife died, but I think we're going to talk about it another time. <laughs> we watched four, count them, four episodes of A to Z this week, folks. A, a chat's record, a non should you watch non Trek chat's record, I think. I think. I think. Okay. If anyone can think of another podcast, main feed chats episode, not should you watch not Trek chats, where we watched yeah, four. Four episodes of a show in one week. Let us know. Um, and the reason we're doing that is because we don't want to. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to watch the show another week. I mean, it's been fun, but yeah, yeah, we're we're trying to cram them in to 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 get out of here onto our next thing. So yeah, we're doing on the school. air. Did we? Sorry, on the air. Did we do four? That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. I don't know the answer to it. I have no way of knowing that. All right. Going to our episodes page. Yeah, sorry. You do your thing. I'll figure this out. Thanks, pal. We watched J is for Jan Vaughn, K is for Keep Out, L is for Likeability, and M is for Meant to Be, the series finale of A to Z. J is for Jan Vaughn is the first episode we'll be discussing. 
And it was written by Ben Queen and Ryan Coe. It was directed by Michael Patrick Jan. And it aired on the new year, January 1st, 2015. Magellan, my sweet and beautiful and handsome friend, can you tell me what happened? In J is for Jan Vaughn. In this episode of A, well, of Ch- yeah, A to Z. I was going to say A to Chat Z. We watched, a, we watched the first four episodes of On the Air in one episode. Yep. So, <sighs> How'd you get there while you were talking? I'm skilled. I have a skill. Incredible. Okay, so we're not breaking any records, unfortunately. Breaking records is about the of... worst show yet. <laughs> Sorry, you think this is the worst show? No, no, no. Ever... I just no. I, I love talking over you, and I wanted to make sure I could get one more in before you said. If you you're going to talk over me, at least you know, have something to say. Whoa! <laughs> is that like a rap battle, like the crowd reacting? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh! Okay, in this episode, Zelda and Andrew play matchmakers for Stu and a stenographer whose name is, I wrote this down, Jennifer. Yep. Jennifer the stenographer. But their love connection maneuvering negatively impacts Steffi. Alan, what do you think of Jay is for Jan Vaughn? I didn't have a lot of notes on this one, but it made me kind of sad. Uh, I think that oh. this is... You know, A to Z at its best is actually tapping into a lot of common romance tropes and like things mm-hmm. that happen in primarily cis hetero romances. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah. um, these are problems that like my like hetero friends in particular deal with. Like, oh, like we're in a good relationship and we want our single friends to find someone. So we need to fix mm-hmm. them. And the show kind of puts shines a, a light on that and says like, you know, who are you to say what makes us happy in a way yeah. that's like almost a little bit progressive for 2014? You know, there's like moments where yeah. Stu and Steffi are like, why does being in a relationship equate satisfaction and success for us to you? And then the show decides if we're going to slam dunk on anyone, it's not going to be single people, but it's going to be sex workers. And the Steph plot, Steffi plot takes mm-hmm. a fucking nosedive mm-hmm. uh, into all sorts of bad tropes. And by the end, I'm just like, Okay, all my notes remaining are just laughing at the things that Stu says, and the rest of it I do not give a crappy crap about. The stenographer, played by the lovely Sarah Baker, iconic comedian, uh, is not given too much to do, but when she does get to bounce off of Stu, she she goes toe-to-toe with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Andrew and Zelda are correctly uh, portrayed here as like kind of shitty, and uh, I came to appreciate that by the end, but otherwise, not the best episode, in my opinion. What about you? Um, this one I feel like had some of the better joke writing that we've seen from the show in a while, barring, of course, what you're talking about with the like <laughs> the where the stuffy plot goes, um, and like the sex work stuff. Um, but line for line, I found myself laughing a little bit more at this episode than some other ones. Um, so you know, I thought it was entertaining. Not, uh, I don't know. I mean, none of these episodes really like knocked it out of the park for me, except I think the last one like is a pretty capable finale for the show, which we'll talk about when we get to it. Um, but I do always like this sort of thing explored in sitcoms where the couple who's like a great couple thinks that they can make it their business to improve other people's relationships or form relationships. And then it doesn't go well for them. That's just like 
a pretty classic thing that works. So I, I liked that stuff to an extent. Um, but even then it does the A to Z thing of like tying it up in a very, very neat bow um, mm-hmm. in a way that's like, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if I like how you did that. So, you know, we'll talk about that, I guess. Let's talk first about the title of the episode. Jay is for Jan Vaughn. Uh-huh. Uh, referring to Ivan Vaughn, the gentleman who brought together uh, George and Paul from the Beatles and how he never found love or like, a, I guess they're talking about like a musical partner or maybe a romantic partner. Unclear there. Um, how he never found that himself. Like Stephanie, after having, you know, helped like realizing that she helped Andrew and Zelda get together. It's like, oh man, I've never had that. And am I going to be just like Ivan Vaughn? They don't actually say Jan Vaughn, but I guess that's like the implication is that she feels like she's the female version of that. Uh, Yeah. Or it's referring, there's like a whole thing where Zelda later is like, Ivan Vaughn found love. Maybe that's like the name of the person he married. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And, um, so she feels bad. It's weird, by the way, to see Steffi just like sitting on the floor of her apartment watching a Beatles documentary, like <laughs> something surreal about seeing actual Paul McCartney and George Harrison on TV. And you're like, what am I looking at? <laughs> Why yeah. is this happening? That's funny. Uh, and uh, one of the other groups that she brought together, the, the main one of the episode are Stu and Jennifer, who is a stenographer that works at uh, Zelda and Steffi's office. Uh, mm. who comes in with a fantastic gag, by the way, where her heel on her high heels broke off. And so she rebuilds it with a marker by shoving a marker <laughs> into where the heel was. I was like, not bowled over. I just found that phys- the physical comedy of that and the ingenuity of that really fun. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't know. I really like Sarah Baker. I don't remember what I've seen her in, but she's one of those actors where I'm like, oh, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then she's always consistently fairly funny. Mm-hmm. Uh at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she ends up being in a lot of like bog standard comedies as the like side person, but that's not to say that she's not it's, like super good. And I think she should get a show at some point, probably. Yeah. Uh, Cause she, like I said, she can really play against Stu fairly well. Like once they meet and we, we get all of the comedy of the cold open of like, Oh, we're, we're doing the same thing on both sides of this, this relationship. And then they are talking about like how they love each other and all this stuff. Um, the thing is that the breakup happens really fast and really dramatically. So we don't even have time for her to like be in a relationship with Stu before the other half of the episode is, oh my God, the breakup was so bad and we only dated for one day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads to one of my favorite jokes, the whole like, I'm looking at pictures of her and they're like, you only did on a one date. It's like He's got two pictures that he's going back and forth between. That, yeah. was, that yeah. was a solid gag. I like that a lot exactly yeah yeah and um i think Stu, yeah it gives Stu more fun things to do Stu to, Stu to get taken down a peg is to me very satisfying yeah yeah i think this is the episode where it felt like the show hit its stride in terms of what sort of comedic sensibility it wanted to forward because they've kind of like used some of these tools of okay we're a show that has narration we're a show that cuts away to things i guess um you know, sometimes things are like really realistic and sometimes they're a little bit absurd. And uh, we're kind of like in this one and the next one settling into a particular tone of just like kind of heightened reality, um, like a almost surreal, gr- a grounded surrealness. 
yeah that yeah. uh you know i think is the kind of thing that you find in single camera shows of this particular time period that are successful um like there are lots of great episodes of community for example that don't do genre pastiche but do this kind of thing of like we're in a real place with real people but wacky stuff is happening but we can still then kind of pivot back to like you know the the grounded moment um and even like you know scrubs sort of does this but also kind of like cordons off a lot of its zaniness to dream sequence and imagination sequences um so it's not quite as good of a comparison but it feels like in this episode they're starting to figure that stuff out a little bit more with things like the phone gag the highlighter thing um i loved what are some other lines that i had here uh when (laughs) Stu and jennifer are making out in the bar and they're doing like this kind of um almost satirical version of like a couple in their honeymoon phase and they're saying like oh i love you i love you and then Stu's like we should never go out we should never leave the house uh i thought that was pretty funny um and And when they meet uh or when they're on the double date with uh andrew and zelda uh and they're like whatever some vacation they're like we should go to bali because they're drinking a fruity drink (laughs) and their first thought is we should go to bali and they make all these comments about like where they want to travel which again is a thing that like some couples I know immediately jump to. It's yeah. like, oh, how fun would it be to finally travel? And I get that. Uh, but then they see Andrew and Zelda and they're like, what, what is the best trip that you guys went on? And they're like, uh, we haven't been on any because they've only been together for three to two months, depending on the continuity error. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh-huh. Um, and then they just turn to each other and go, let's never end up like them, <laughs> which is so <laughs> twisted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think the show is funnier and more enjoyable when they lean into this absurdity, and a lot yeah. of it comes from Stu and and uh, Jennifer this episode. Yeah, and I think they do that a little bit more these these few episodes here, and they've done it here and there more shakily, but it feels like they're finally, you know, you got to let a sitcom cook for a little bit before it really figures out what it is, and. This episode, I'm not saying it's necessarily like the very best that the show has offered us, but I do think it's like the most self-assured. Um, and yeah. and that's the bummer, you know, with with watching a canceled show is seeing it hit that moment that every sitcom needs, you know, how many episodes have we watched? Nine? Like this is number 10, I think. Name me a sitcom that like figures it out within the first nine. You know, I, I, yeah, I can't think of one. And so it's just sort of like the luck of the, of the industry, whether you're going to make it long enough to like become something. And this show didn't, didn't get to, which, uh, after watching these episodes, I'm uh, understanding a little bit more like why this kind of stuck in my craw and why yeah I remembered this being a show that I liked because I think it figures itself out here towards the end. I agree. I think that this this like absurdity stuff is the show getting it, and I I know it, it was um I forget who the critic is, uh but they were like you know most TV shows actually are in their best stride in season in two season two, uh and it was Emily St James that's yeah what I was gonna say yeah uh but 
then that's the tragedy of 13 under 13 is like we just can't we're never going to get there they will never hit their stride and yeah. that's what i find so sad because like we've had people in our discord be like oh why aren't you guys covered why you guys should cover this sorry i don't want to put like a <laughs> a like negative onus on our listeners <laughs> but they're like do you, could you do you guys consider covering this and most of what we're getting is like shows that were one season long uh and i'm like no, like what I need is for it to break. I need it to not work and to fail hmm. because that's what makes 13 or 13 interesting is that they tr- they didn't think they were going to go with 13 episodes. So Right, right, right. Yeah, it can't be a show that was designed to be short. No, 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 no. Yeah. I want to see huge arcs not pay off. <laughs> I want to see <laughs> characters not be given time to breathe. I want yeah. I want all of that. Beautiful yeah. failures. Um I have a couple of quick funny hits from this episode. Yeah. And then we can talk about both the continuity and the sex worker stuff at the end. Uh-huh. Um, speaking of the show learning, leaning to the absurdity, uh, Jennifer doesn't feel fear because, quote, a river <laughs> parasite ate her amygdala, <laughs> which is an amazing, amazing line that Tara Baker delivers like so flawlessly. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck? That's so really good. funny. Really funny. Uh, and it's just brushed off. And then. Uh, after the breakup, um, Steffi leans into her Cockney accent, reminding us that she's British, uh-huh. uh, which is funny. And then I remember I used to do jokes about like Cockney accents. I think that there's a like classism to doing Cockney accent jokes Yeah, uh, yeah. that I'm not equipped to discuss, but I know is present, you know? Yeah, it definitely feels like a classism that we're allowing ourselves to do because it's like old timey and british and so there's like kind of get out of jail free cards there on that but uh yeah it definitely isn't like super cool no not at all um but the actress does have a little bit of fun with it uh just a shout this one's not absurd but the humor of uh jessica's doing the or jennifer doing the like using the stenography typewriter and mm-hmm. while talking to Zelda, yeah. like, you need to like get back with Stu or whatever and this, that, and that. And she's like, yeah, I mean, this is what I think about it. And then Zelda goes like, I mean, what did I just say? And she looks at her typewriter and goes, you said. <laughs> it's like quotes it verbatim. So funny. That, I felt like that was the whole reason they made her a stenographer was to do that joke. Yeah. Uh, and it paid off really well. I recently watched a, a video about how the stenography keyboards work. Oh, yeah? It's pretty interesting. Yeah, basically, do you want to know? Yeah, I do. So there's, it's like a smaller set of keys, and there's kind of like a top row that has more keys than the bottom row. Um, And so there's three sections. There's like the left top keys, the right top keys, and the bottom bottom row. Uh And uh, in each zone, there's different sounds. So like the left top keys are for consonants that happen at the beginning of a syllable. The right top keys are for consonants that happen at the end of a syllable. And then the bottom is the vowel sounds. So what you're doing is a stenographer, instead of hitting like one letter at a time, is actually hitting a combination of keys simultaneously to type one syllable at a time. Um, Interesting. I'm looking at a picture of a stenographer keyboard now, so I I understand what you're saying. And so it essentially produces like a phonetic transcript of the thing that was said. And then there's like some words that are used frequently where there are like special codes for like frequently used words um, and stuff like that. But uh, 
Pretty interesting. Very interesting. I want to. It reminds me of like Dvorak keyboards. Like I could not learn this in enough time to make a career as a stenographer, probably. Mm-hmm. Nor do I want to. But stuff like Dvorak or just other ways of typing are always interesting to me. Yeah. Because you can you can unlearn QWERTY. I had to look at my keyboard to remember that. Um, when I went to France, my uncle used uh, Azerty, which is the key the keyboard layout that they use in France, and I was like so confused by it, huh. but. When you think about how French works, it makes a lot more sense to have those letters in that order. Hmm. Um, my last note, just this is so subtle, but Andrew goes up to Laura to ask her about something. And uh-huh. she, <laughs> this gag, it's silent. But Hong Chao does it where she shivers when he touches her. And it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that was good. So funny to me. I'm like, yeah. just tiny little character details. She does not like to be touched. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was, what were some other like like jokes before we wrap up? <laughs> There's this when Stu is talking about how he's gonna miss the relationship with Jennifer. He says, "I miss the sex though. It was like falling into a mirror." And everybody else is like, "What?" <laughs> what? Yeah, that's that's saying? my other that's my other favorite. Because he uh, says another one of those like they just say it and move on. That's why it's funny. Yeah, but I, <clears throat> what I liked about it is, um, you know, I think kind of a weird thing that this episode falls into is not not just heteronormativity this is a very heteronormative episode but also like similar normativity like dating someone who kind of is like you and looks like you and has hair like you do uh and it's weird and i appreciate that that line kind of lampshades the weirdness of that um because it's like an animating principle behind the match that they make that yes. like, oh, she's Lady Stew. And this idea that like that's what people want is to date someone who's like the opposite gender version of them. Um, so I like that line because it's weird and funny and also kind of points out like, well, kind of a strange concept for a plot, huh? Anyway, let's mm-hmm. let's get out of here. So I yeah, like there's that. something too about like, in in rom coms especially, and especially in like twenty tens rom coms, they just make the male and female look so similar yeah. that it, it 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 makes this stereotype that yes, that like you find your partner in somebody who looks like you and acts like you, where in reality a lot of most couples I know don't look that or act anything like each other. They complement each other. We talked about this last week and the week before that. So mm-hmm. you don't just look for a female version of yourself, even though Zelda does seem like a sort of like femme Andrew in some ways, like physically. Their right. personalities are different enough, but with Stu and Jennifer, it's just like you guys cast her because she can be funny the same way he can and looks mm-hmm. a little bit like him. Right. Same hair color. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I thought was fun is weirdly in this episode, Andrew is really gung ho about the wallflower algorithm and how good it is. And he's determined to use the algorithm to match Steffi with someone. And he's like, the, oh, the great algorithm, da 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 da. And Zelda's like, dude. And then he says, ah, I'm feeling insecure about my job. <laughs> and I like, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny. I didn't really understand why, plot wise, like he's saying, oh, we'll use the algorithm. But Steffi's a user of Wallflower. So mm-hmm. why would Andrew be able to? do matchmaking for her that she couldn't do herself it was kind of a weird 
the logic of it was weird. But maybe that's just sort of like matchmaking dating site logic that it's hard for me to retrieve now because we live yeah. in a different uh, landscape with those things. I don't know. I think they have access to API and they can look at all of the mails that match her, like the secret levers that she's been triggering. Mm. And instead of just using the interface of the website, they can be like, we know everybody who matches your profile. I'll find the perfect one for you. I see. Sure. That makes sense. That's just how I understood it. Um, last thing I have in this episode before we move on, uh, the study plot gets really stupid really fast as she meets this guy yeah. uh, named Joseph and they have sex and she thinks she gets confused about his money on the counter, which was supposed to be money for his work. And she takes it and then it becomes a thing where did she just accept money for sex and she gets arrested briefly for yeah. doing sex work and it's supposed to be really funny and the joke is like how how embarrassed uh joseph who's like a new guest character by the way how embarrassed he would be like i would never i don't need i don't need he says like at one point like the classic i don't need to pay for sex kind of thing uh-huh. and i just it's like adc you just didn't have to you really you did this to introduce joseph to the storyline i get that but the way that the episode says like everybody here is funny and gonna get off scot-free because we're not god forbid sex workers that would be horrible is like yeah kind of rough yeah it's just a strange it's like a really odd contrivance of a plot like they they obviously go to the extreme breaking up Stu and jennifer because it's like well we can't have characters recur across multiple episodes of a sitcom um and so the weird thing is it seems like they're also doing that kind of like an overly exaggerated like destruction of Stu or of uh Steffi and what's his name? George? So he said <laughs> Joseph. Joseph. <laughs> um but then they like at the end and along the way, yeah, they're doing all of this damage to like, oh man. He thought that I was a sex worker. How dare he? Well, I'm so offended. Um, oh, Andrew's like, ah, you jerk. What What the heck? You you absolute jerk. And it's like, what is this? And then in the end of the episode, the thing that's really weird is that they try to wipe that slate clean to keep Joseph around and give Steffi this happy ending with a guy who I could not tell you a thing about him like who yes. he is uh and it's just like well you know it's it was all a big misunderstanding so we're good mm-hmm. now um it was strange i didn't yeah, really like it the comedy of errors then also of Stu and steffi about to have sex right as the police walk in it's like uh right. yeah it's it kind of falls apart in the last five minutes yeah that's all i have for it though jimmy Same. three notes no, let's talk about the next one. Fantastic. Next on the docketist case for Keep Out, it's written by Ben Queen and Bill Callahan. It was directed by Tristram Shapiro. It aired January 8th, 2015. And Magellan, tell me what happened in this one. In this episode, Andrew and Zelda seek quality alone time together, which stirs up tension between Andrew and Stu. Meanwhile, Big Bird sets out to win a man's attention. Hmm. Hmm. I have a huge bone to pick. Okay, what is your bone? I didn't realize this until the next episode, but they got rid of Howard. Yeah, they did? Oh, my God. 
His presence was noted. Maybe yeah. the actor had to leave or something. I don't know, but but he's he's gone. And they bring back uh Lydia's boss guy and it's yep. like now I'm doing a thing with him and it sucks because I th- I'm pretty sure last we left Howard and Lydia they were like kind of having a nice tender moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it almost it, it implies weird. a couple things. Cuz is it they still have these tender moments and she just is wrapping him around her finger in a shitty way because that's depressing. Is it he left? Because that's really sad. We never got to see anything with him. And his presence is clearly missed by the show because now Lydia is like talking to Laura and having plots with Laura. And it's like, uh-huh. wait, wait, wait. You had a guy for this. You literally had a guy for this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, it does it does help to raise the profile of Laura and Dinesh in these episodes because it really felt like the show was squandering them. And mm-hmm. it, in these last few episodes, the show figures out like, oh, yeah, we have like characters <laughs> that we can put into plots and stuff. But yes, Lydia having like this cat and mouse romance plot with her boss guy. Uh, like, I don't Dane. Need, I don't need that. Dane. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not not interested <laughs> in that at all. Um and they and it continues into the next episode. There's more Dane stuff in the next one. Suddenly, A to Z has all this continuity in the in these last few, because uh, also Steffi and Joseph. Joseph, I was like George, Greg, Jordan. What's his name? <laughs> he, he is a Greg. To be fair, he's Ste- pretty good looking, but he's a, he's a good looking Greg. Yeah, Joseph is is here still. Mm-hmm. And it's like, huh? What <laughs> what is going on? I don't know. This one didn't resonate with me. I I liked the the like thought within the Andrew Zelda plot of like we can't seem to find time alone to ourselves. I think that works, but I just wasn't super big on the other plots that were happening around it. Same. No. The only thing I have here, by the way, my continuity note was that Jay is for Jan Vaughn. Katie Seagal in the beginning says five months, 26 days, four hours, 13 minutes. In K, we mentioned seven months. And I think that the show actually, it's they said that in error because this is an episode with continuity and we have never gone backwards in the relationship. So because then L uh, is five months, six days. And it's like, okay, you guys clearly goofed that, but I caught it. And if the show went longer, I'm sure people would have been like, oh, uh, 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 they fucked it up or like tried to rationalize it, but which you literally can't because Joseph is here. They drew a line in the sand. Um, I just thought that was very weird. And yeah, this does have more continuity to it. But I think Wayne Wilderson, Wayne Wilderson the actor playing Dane, has a little bit of fun with this. But ultimately, my problem with the Lydia plot is that Christina Kirk is fun in the show when she is a villain, when she is a, like, easy-to-hate bad person who's funny to hate. Right, right. And they make her so sympathetic in all of her storylines with Laura. It's like, look at you. Look at how you can become friends with your boss and how you can, like, empathize with your boss. And it's like, no, that's not... That's not who Lydia is. Like, you guys are writing a... And this is sometimes the problem, I think, with network sitcoms being written by so many people is different writers have different perspectives on their characters but 
I feel like the writers in this didn't remember or something that Lydia's supposed to be their manager, their boss. And yeah. so they're like, yeah, Laura would get along with her and do girl talk with her. And it's like the comedy of that comes from Laura feeling like that's a place of fear. I think that's not so much in this episode. Is it, is it the her and them becoming friends thing in this one? or? Yeah, is it that is. Hell? That's in this, it's one. in this one. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Because then in the next one, Lydia is, and Dane are like dating. Yeah. And it's kind of a they... different thing. Because that's when Lydia has like her plot with Steffi in the next one. So yes, this is the one with Laura. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. There's at first it's clear that Lydia is coercing Laura into having a like girl talk friendship with her. But yes. then by the end of the episode, it's like a real friendship. Mm-hmm. And why why you know i i think it's just a particular um approach to the sitcom of we have to have this kind of like warm fuzzy ending and i think a to z it's sort of like a rule of the show that every episode ends in this very kind of cozy way that uh often feels forced i think mm-hmm very forced, yes. Yeah. Uh, and it, like, isn't this the one that also ends with um, Laura getting called by Lydia at night and being like, talk to me? Yes, and like, yeah, yeah, I can relate. And then she turns to Dinesh and it's like, what is this friendship? Where did this come from? <laughs> I like it. I think that they're fun. I think Hong <laughs> Chao's amazing. Yeah. But like, but where did this come from? Because when, yeah, when it felt coercive, it was funny. It's like, if I'm not friends with my boss, then I will lose my job. I'm scared. Right. And then by the end, it's like, I will answer the phone for you at 11 o'clock at night because you're my friend. Like, huh? Yeah. Huh? Um, I think you could write some really interesting fan fiction about Lydia and her relationships with different people in the office, especially Howard, that she's the character who I most wish I could see. I have seen more of and mm. learned more about like what's her really because she's you know, the one that stays late and the one that has so many like funny things going on and, and seems invested in, in wallflower the most. So that's the character of this that I kind of wanted to know more about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Joseph's moving in uh, Zelda. We have a note about here. We have a note here. She doesn't pay for hotels in the city she lives in. Cause her and, <laughs> and Andrew are trying to get some time alone. You know, it's I like classic- his, res- his response. It's like, yeah, oh, I understand. I don't buy a tuna melt when I'm at a restaurant because I, I could just make it at home. Make and it she's home. like, uh, yeah, sure. Totally same, same thing. Yeah. I mean, those are both funny idiosyncrasies that are, are like are realistic also. Yeah, extremely realistic. Like, I understand someone not wanting to pay for a hotel in the place that they live in. Although I think it'd be fun, you know? Oh, it's yeah. It's a different way to view oh, yeah. the city you're in. Yeah uh and just how enjoy the amenities of a hotel and then the tuna melt mm. thing yeah but just you may, if you make it to a good tuna melt then don't buy one that's simple uh or like i don't get scrambled eggs at a restaurant because i can just make eggs that's easy right um i think the funniest andrew zelda stuff when they finally do get time together in the middle of the episode before it's interrupted is they made some like italian food and you get a really great opportunity to see these two actors be funny which we don't often get with each other um they're speaking italian to each other and he's like oh speak italian to me and she's like oh spaghetti and then <laughs> just get to hear krista miliotti end it by going christina ricci <laughs> as <laughs> Stu bumps in and i i just i got a kick out of out of uh miliotti doing that bit 
yeah, very much. That's funny. But it's another like to some people this is a very relatable thing. You're trying to have a private night with your friends or with your partner, but your friends keep coming around and staying over and being annoying. Yeah. Uh it's funny because sometimes this show does feel like it looks down on single people. Like, oh, they're so annoying. Mm-hmm. We could have such a good relationship if we were only. But then it also lamp, like turns it back on Andrew and Zelda. And it's like, who are you guys to tell us yeah. what's weird about this? It shouldn't feel weird that your friends come to visit you all the time. But if you really want privacy, just ask for it and be firm about right. it. Right, right, right. Yeah. And Andrew and Zelda both, this is their like commonality. So they don't seem like the type of people that they could tell their friends that. Because I think Andrew literally says, like, I have a codependent relationship. Yeah, he literally, in that scene, yeah. mm-hmm. has, I have a codependent relationship with Stu, and I would feel bad, or I'm, like, hurting him if I told him not to hang out with me, uh, which is yeah. sad. Yeah, and to be fair, Stu responds incredibly immaturely to Andrew attempting to create a boundary, um, which Andrew doesn't do very well. But Stu doesn't respond to it very well. So, like, everybody is a little bit childish here. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's a sitcom exaggeration of, like, a real problem that people run into, which is, like, ugh, I want us to be here alone, but you live here, so I can't tell you not to live here, I guess. Um, but then it's, I don't know, the way that they were considering the way that they were considering like let's move in together in this didn't feel realistic to me because i can't imagine i can't imagine someone having that conversation after what like three four months five at most that feels incredibly early i don't know maybe i'm wrong but i can imagine people like talking about hey eventually we would like to do this, but like considering doing it at that moment uh, within like such a short span of time without some sort of coercive element, like I'm about to lose my apartment or like my lease is going to be up really soon. And, you know, it just doesn't really feel like it makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense at all. And the whole back and forth of like Stu's going to be with uh, uh, the guy whose name I also just forgot. Joseph. <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> We're He's passing with that Joseph. knowledge like a hot potato between the two of us. Exactly. Steve wants to move in. Joseph, screw you, Andrew. Andrew's like, I'm here to move by myself. But Zelda, can you tell me that this is a good apartment? And she's like, I guess I'll move in with you. And he's like, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, I guess we're going to move in together. And Steffi has to be like, no, but you're going to leave me. And I want to move in with Joseph. And it's just like nonsense. My roommate tuned in for these last four. And he was like, I don't understand what's going on in this plot. And I was like, me neither. You're not missing anything. It just (laughs) is confusing for no reason other than like. Uh-huh. This should have been if you're gonna do like a Andrew and Zelda talk about meeting each other, that should be an entire A plot. That shouldn't be the like the quick five minutes like how do we wrap this up kind of yeah. middle of the episode thing. Yeah. Cause that's that like you said, it's a big conversation. That doesn't happen in the first eight months. Doesn't usually doesn't happen in the first year in most American couples, at least. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It just felt really rushed, honestly. Yeah. Uh there's a couple other things here laura has that big makeover moment when her and lydia are getting their hair done and they got do gossip this is again just like why are these two people friends to the extent that they are here uh yeah there is some really great humor by the way speaking of the whole moving in together thing just to roll back with the landlord 
I don't like the joke about him saying there's a sex offender living downstairs, dot, 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 and it's me. No, not a fan no, of that. No, not at all. Uh-uh. Doesn't land. It's not delivered well. It's not funny on paper. It's not funny in execution. It just fails as a joke. Uh, <laughs> what succeeds as a joke is the two of them being so nervous to sign that we get a tight five of them dropping the pen and being like, oh, I'm sorry, the pen doesn't work. He's like, let me test it. Oh, no, it does work. Yeah, but it's not working for me. I don't know. I just, I guess I can't sign. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy that. But uh, yeah, I think all of these plots just kind of wrap up in a bleh blob by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. God, the sex offender joke is so bad. <laughs> and my last thing was, and maybe we'll talk more about, uh, I, I want to save this point. I have a point about like relationships and TV shows about relationships. Okay. Um. But I, I think I should save that for the end of the podcast. Okay. Thanks, man. That's so understanding of you. Yeah, of course. Uh, did you like the line, it's okay, I've been friends with a cool girl before from Laura? <laughs> Who's the little, cool girl? It's a little silly. I want the backstory of that. Yeah. And then the turn to Dinesh. Hell yeah. But also, what's going on? <laughs> Who is Laura anymore? <laughs> uh Stray notes. Um, I I like the very beginning of the episode where they're talking about what they would do if they were what they'd be doing right now if they were single, and Andrew is like in the mirror shaping up this huge Tom Selleck mustache, <laughs> and Zelda's playing fuck Mary kill with her cat. Just like pretty specific funny activities. I, I like that gag. Good use of the cutaway. So I think that's solid. the cutaway. If you and and your girlfriend did a like, yeah, what would we do if we weren't together? That's exactly what it would be. <laughs> if she would play Buckberry Kill with cats and you would be like, ooh, a mustache. I look good. <laughs> I can like see it. I, the first yeah. thing I, I thought when I saw that scene was like, this is Magellan and his girlfriend. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, this one's better than the first one to me, but not like stellar, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Take it to a brief musical break, Michelle. And when we're back, we will discuss the final two episodes of A to Z. Starting with L is for Lickability. Welcome back to A to Chat Z. The second batch of episodes we watched this week were A to Z episode 12, L is for likability, and A to Z episode 13, M is for meant to be. First off, L is for likability was written by Ben Queen, Teresa Mulligan, and Laura Guten, directed by Michael Patrick Jan. It aired on January 15th, 2015. Alan, what happened in L is for likability? In this episode, I realized that the actress who plays Steffi, Lenora Critchlow, is one of the main actors on Being Human, the UK version. She's oh. the girl from Being Human. She's the ghost? Yes, she's the ghost on Being Human, Annie Sawyer. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I We watched the pilot of Being Human a long time ago, and I kept thinking to myself, why do I know this actress? And that's why. Before. Well, we didn't Whew. watch the UK one. You're right, we didn't. You're absolutely right. I couldn't remember which one we watched. I thought we watched the UK one. Okay. I've never seen it. Maybe you did, but mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Possibly. Or I've seen clips of it. No, in Eldest for Likeability, when Andrew's father, Peter, unexpectedly shows up to visit, 
Zelda tries to win his attention after Pete tells Andrew he isn't a fan of hers. Elsewhere, Big Bird implements a new cancellation policy at Wallflower, despite not having Dane's approval. Hmm. She's on so, Avenue 5. Did you watch that? No, what's Avenue 5? It's a sci-fi it's, show? It's the Hugh Laurie space show. Whoa. Can we watch that? I've heard it's mid. Okay, never mind. Oh, the poster looks really dull. Never mind. I'm it's like a space comedy with Hugh Laurie and Josh Gad and Zach Woods. Zach Woods is going to one show in its Silicon Valley. And I don't know anything else that he's good in. I think he was in the office. For oh, the, he's in Veep, dude. Oh, he was in the office. Yeah, yeah. He's in he's in Silicon Valley and Veep. Okay. Veep. I'm not interested in watching Avenue Five, but I am interested in talking about L's for likability. Note number one: uh, you and I both expected the actor playing Pete, Pete, the actor playing Pete, uh, to be like a huge celebrity poll, right? Because that's like yeah, because it's like oh, it's the dad. Like this is probably going to be a sitcom mainstay from a, pre- a previous show who are getting on here for fun, especially with the show having gotten, um, you know, back to the oh. future. Uh, what's her name? Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson. Yeah. And, um, Ray Parker jr. It's like, okay, you're going <sighs> to do something. It, they did do something. We're wrong. Who he's what the, show? He, he's the dad from the wonder years. Okay. Yeah, Sure. Exactly. That really tracks. That that's exactly. so. That's exactly what we are talking about. Where this is just a thing in sitcoms, especially with this show that has like a weird obsession with the eighties. Uh, not weird. The writers are from that born and grew up in that time. Uh, is that you make the main guy's dad somebody famous? That Chuck does the same thing. This show keeps coming. It all comes back to Chuck scrubs and Scrubs. Correct. Very yeah. true. It was a big thing in the aughts, uh, and so I thought it was going to be like, yeah, someone huge. But not to say that Dan Lorian is not huge. I just didn't watch The Wonder Years, except that fantastic pilot. Uh, only episode I've ever watched. Uh-huh. In health Haven't... class in high school. Why did they put it on in health class? <laughs> because there's a part in it where the health teacher is talking about the female reproductive system. Oh, my God. Your brain saves the most interesting things, Magellan. That's so I true. was I was in ninth grade. I was impressionable. I, I was a young mind being molded by uh, our, Loria on the our years. underwhelming health teacher. Sorry to say. I'm sorry, sorry to say. What about the whole episode? The whole class where we at, he asked us the boys, the boys, uh, what are some different <laughs> different nicknames we have for the penis? And we spent a whole no, class. No, stop it. Uh, I mean, uh, a thankless job. I I couldn't possibly imagine having to teach sex ed to teenagers, but still, like, but John, we are we for listeners. We we've been trying to make our episodes a little bit tighter by putting ourselves on a timer, and nah. uh, we are killing that timer right now by not talking about this one. Let's get into it. What do you think about Alice for likability? Uh. I thought it was okay. It's the, it's another classic sitcom plot. Like these few in a row have been pretty straight across the plate. The first one is we're the couple. We think we can fix your lives because we think we're great. Oh, we're the couple and we want some time alone. Oh, dad's in town. And this is a whole thing. Like we're not seeing anything new here. And I think it's because these are like pretty tried and true episode formats. Um, and 
On the one hand, I think it works okay. I like the twist of, oh, actually, the dad doesn't like Zelda. Uh, Like, it's not what Andrew's expecting, which is that she won't like his abrasive dad. But the dad is, like, being kind of shitty. So that was something that I wasn't expecting, that I, but I thought worked. Um, but I think a missed opportunity is his dad is just like a like a boomer dad. Yeah, with uh, a drone. And, yeah, with a drone, which is such a random. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's that's realistic. Like, you know, someone's dad has a a weird fixation on something very, 20, very 2014 you you legally can't fly a drone like that in a in a in a anywhere let alone like downtown los angeles the way uh-huh. that his dad does like going to zelda's office or whatever that's you can't do that anymore but it's fun yeah but i, I don't know i just think there isn't that much particular about how he's characterized that convinces us that he's like andrew's dad you know yeah what I mean? yeah um and i think we kind of gesture towards that later where he throws aside them going to the batting cages to chase his girlfriend, but then he's like, uh, actually, she wasn't right for me. So there's something there with the two of them being these like very romantic people, but the episode really does not highlight that. So it's just kind of this like somewhat hollow thing of like, ugh, dads, right? They're always coming around saying the most inappropriate things. Boy, oh boy, my dad is so annoying. Um, as opposed to a, a more substantial, like, uh, deeper, because there's also not a deeper thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> our parental trauma does not have its roots in, like, how our parents interacted with our partners when we were in our early 20s. <laughs> uh, it is deeper than that, and there isn't really that depth here in this episode either, so... Just kind of missed opportunities, I th- I think. Agreed. I, I I think, and maybe I've said this in previous seasons of chats. Correct me if I'm if I'm you know over repeating myself, but using the like introduce a character's parents plotline this early feels like you're burning a huge a huge concept. I think this is like a Chatslon five thing, right? Like they introduced Ivanova's dad in season one, right? Right. And it's right, like, right. oh yeah. man, now we don't have Ivanova's dad as like a like you know one in the chamber like it's right. gone you can only do that once with each character really yeah exactly so i think doing that with andrew is that like maybe they would have brought this guy back i think it, that the actor is fine but uh-huh. um i agree like other than them both being romantics i didn't see much connection between andrew and his father uh and and like the fact that they both like baseball uh, whatever, yeah. whatever there. There is some really funny stuff. I think that this episode does get a lot of good points for comedy from me, at least. Yeah, I think it continues the trend of like the joke writing has gotten very comfortable by this point. Yes. Uh, yes. And you can rely on an episode to make you laugh, uh, which has been nice in this batch. And they're going to say in these tough times. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, in this economy. Yeah. The, <laughs> the way that Andrew's dad pushes away his girlfriends by being wildly inappropriate yeah. And being like, I can't wait to see you pop a baby out. Gross. Uh, mm-hmm. God, what was another one? They were all so freaking funny. Well, the one where he made challah bread for the Jewish girlfriend and then told her that Andrew is circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, that's fun. Sure. And this is another, like, on its core relatable thing. It's like, I hope my parents like my new partner. Um, uh-huh. it, I'm sure we've all dealt with this. You're 
partner's parents seemed to like you very much and vice versa. So you guys kind of got past this. But like, it's still, yeah. it's... <laughs> Say way more about that. Yeah, but you just gave yourself an open. No, it's just like, you don't, it's not like something that... It's you, not one and meet done. meet once. Right, it's not a one and done thing. Like, That's it's... True. uh. I'm not saying that, meaning like there's something bad going on. I do think that that's (laughs) true, but I don't think that that like anxiety goes away even, you know, after it's good one or two times. uh, Yeah. Because I think the stakes are so high, you know? Yes. um, That like you obviously want to make a good first impression um, and you want your partner and your parent to make a good first impression on each other. And then the second impression feels pretty big too. I don't know. Um, So, you know, it takes time to kind of move through these feelings, but that definitely is a really relatable part of this episode is Andrew wanting to like control the situation. And then when he's seeing Zelda and his dad click, he's like, is this, I guess this is working. Okay. Okay. Um I think this is good. Huh? Great. Great. Phew. Like that that felt I, I felt seen by that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so we got some drone stuff. I I just want to kinda of go down a couple of fun jokes with all of this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We know Stu wishes that Andrew's dad was his dad. They don't really lean into the sadness of that enough to me, but it's funny <laughs> when he's like like we're gonna go out and like do stuff that kids do with their dads. Um and the whole like the girlfriend's Andrew's dad being inappropriate around girls is very fun. Uh, Zelda being like a badass in the office and always being assertive and always, as Katie Seagal says, um, like never letting something go. And the way that they show that to us is she's yelling at someone over a conference call and says, "quote That is the last time that Pizza Palace forgets our garlic bread." Uh, <laughs> it's just a delight. Just like. Zelda is that girlfriend that you know who sees a problem and doesn't say, like, okay, we're not going to deal with that. And instead says, like, this is my problem now, and you have to fix it, and I'm not going to let it go. And I love that about her. It's very, like, characterful uh, of her. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything about Zelda and her interactions with Pete here? Uh, I kind of was wanting... You know, I thought there was going to be a thing of like that side of Zelda being something that Pete gets along with that Andrew is sort of like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know if I like like the dynamic of, well, they're getting along, but I don't like the way they're getting along kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. Um, which they didn't end up going in that direction. But that was at first what I thought was was going to happen um yeah uh instead it's like Aunt pete is like kind of manipulative he says like i it's not that i actually don't like your girlfriend i'm just telling you that you i don't like her so that you push her away and you spend more time with me which is like yeah like a level of dramatic weight that the show has never tapped into and i was like what show am i watching right now where like hmm. we're digging into how manipulative parents can be no thanks this isn't what i wanted at all mm-hmm. uh little too serious but they do intercut it then with this like very silly dane and lydia dating plot where last episode they tried um laura tried setting dane up with lydia and then he went on a date with her but it turns out they're both manipulating her and so they apologized for that and now dane and lydia are trying to top each other ostensibly 
and not in the sexual uh-huh. way. Don't be weird. I mean, like, in terms of power dynamics. And uh-huh. uh, there's this incredible scene where they finally are, like, have a private moment. And she's like, oh, but he's like, oh, but we're in your office. It's like glass doors. And she's like, not anymore. She flips a button and all the doors go translucent or the glass goes translucent. She's like, now mm-hmm. we can have sex. And you do see Dane's pants come off. Like, you see that guy's fucking, <laughs> like, bare legs. <laughs> but from the outside, as they realize that it's a one-way mirror and everybody outside can see them, which is perfect. Oh, gosh. I'm happy that didn't go anywhere. I thought that was just funny to put the button on that, that plot. Uh, mm. And them not realizing it. And the last big stuff was just, like, the baseball the at the batting cage. Andrew feeling bad. Oh, my dad was going to come with me and we're finally going to spend time together. Everybody seems good, but he actually chose to spend time with Barb and then his dad becoming a like sitcom man and being like, I realized that the girl I wanted, to, I liked didn't actually wasn't good for me. Like he just becomes Andrew basically. Yeah. Uh, but the comedy of that scene, did you catch Steve Ag as the like that weirdo Steve Ag? Yeah. Yeah. Iconic. Also with, uh, Who's the guy who plays Andrew? What's his name? Ben, uh, ben Feldman. Ben Feldman. Works with Ben Feldman on Superstore. Is also on like Sarah uh, Silverman. Okay. The canceled yeah. John Mulaney show from 2014 that nobody watched except for me. <gasps> we need to do that show. It's so fucking bad. I remember hating it. It's so bad. Let's watch it's it. It's really not good. Yeah. yeah, let's wait. How many episodes? How many episodes? Hold on. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Very few. 13. Very few. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm seeing my future ahead of me. Stay tuned as we consider covering Mulaney. That made it to 13 episodes? Yeah, him and Martin Short, man. As like... Loy- uh, oh, yeah. Martin Short was in that show. And Nassim Padra. There's way too much talent in that show for it to be as bad as it was. Uh, Gosh. Just to, to, to reel it in, like I'm a mean really quick. The best Steve Agee line <laughs> is he... He seems like he's going to go to... <laughs> He's going to go to jail. And so he's like, please hit me in the face with this. I'm too pretty to go to prison. Just uh. th- this is a classic. Like you brought on too good of a guest character to fit in this show. Uh-huh. And he actually feels out of place. But it's a f- it's funny. I like Steve Agee a lot. I think he's he's fine here. Yeah. And Zelda whacks him off screen. You hear the sound of the bat in his face. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And we close on this like Steffi comes up on Pete's wallflower because they're like, we're going to find you someone. And... I just watched a Dev Lemons video about her trying to get on Bumble and like be weird with people that, that think that mm-hmm. they're flirting with her. And she at one point turned her age range up and all she got was 50 year old guys, which means that 50 year old guys set their age range down to like 22 or however old she is. Ugh. And it was like, oh, I, this went from funny to so uncomfortable instantly. Uh, yeah. So that, that was the vibe I got that like Steffi is on Pete's Wallflower. Yeah. Fortunately, that doesn't it's happen not, at all. It- it's not funny that like the way this ends is uh, Pete being like, let me go spy on her with my drone. And that's like the ha 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 ha. So silly fade to credits ending of the episode. I, I did not like that. Do you think they had a drone on set and they just wanted to use it? Um, Curious. I, I do think it's like a genuine attempt. The show feels like it's really trying to integrate 2014 things into it to make it of its time and so that feels like something like that where they're just trying to make it kind of as present of a of a show as possible Mm -hmm. um because it feels like the 
the thing of it is, well, we're telling this very kind of classic romance story. Um, and there's this whole like storybook quality. Uh, it's from A to Z. There's like a timelessness to it. And so they're balancing that by making it a very timely show, which uh, I like. I, I appreciate that the balance that they're doing there and it feels like that's in service of that as opposed right. to just like they're playing with a toy mm -hmm. or like his dad loves fishing like they did something with technology right that's all i have guys i'm all out of notes about this for like ability i did like your note what happened to howard oh i have a quick comedic note uh, uh -huh. <laughs> at one point i think it's Stu and maybe pete or maybe andrew talking about Trying to figure out what do lesbians actually do in bed. <laughs> to Bradley date a joke that wouldn't pass today unless you wrote a lesbian wrote it, in which case it would be like, I don't know, play Nintendo, 100% Breath of the Wild, speed run. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's a way to do that joke that's hilarious. Like, like cut, like hard cut, like a family kind cut to like two girls in bed. And it's like they're mm. under the covers. And I'm like, oh my God, what are they doing? And you look under there and it's like, they're building like Gundam mobile suits together. <laughs> Like that. uh -huh, that's right. how you do it anything else on this one um you have two and a half minutes <laughs> <laughs> uh no no okay well in the classic sense of uh any any good meeting online i'm gonna quote give you that time back fucking hate it when people say on meetings i'm gonna give you this time back you do not give me my labor back sir my labor still belongs to the state until i say otherwise Okay, let's talk about the final episode of A to C really quick before we go home. Okay, let's do it. The finale is called M is for Meant to Be. It was written by Ben Queen and no one else, or at least he's the one on the script. It was yeah. directed by Eric Appel and it aired January 22nd, 2015. But John, what happened in M is for Meant to Be? In this episode of A to Z, tensions flare when Andrew's former flame comes to town. Zelda fears she's secretly after Andrew. Feeling threatened, Zelda decides to set up Madeline with an ex-boyfriend of hers in hopes of distracting her. Adding to her stress, Zelda contemplates a major career move. So, I don't know if this is true, but this 100% felt like this script was written after they knew that they were being canceled. Yes. Um, and it's like, let's make sure that we end it, mm -hmm. or give it an ending that is satisfying enough. And you know... I think they do it. I felt I felt like this, you know, for a show that was clearly trying to go a little bit further, trying to get somewhere different and is being cut short. Uh, this feels like it kind of hits the main themes of the show. It re-raises the central question. It puts our characters in like the direst relationship uh, fissure that they could have been in. Um and I think it plausibly gets to that final moment where Stu and Steffi are like, well, I don't know. Do they break up? Do they get married? I guess we'll find out in four months. And uh, and I liked it. I think there's like kind of nuance to it that we can talk about, like whether we like specific choices involved or not. But overall, um, given what it's trying to do with what the situation it's been put in, I think that this is a pretty effective episode. Mm hmm yeah i agree it's a great for a finale that maybe wasn't intended or maybe it was partly intended i think it was like a mid-season finale 
where they're like, we're going to actually be back in like a couple months and we'll mm. just pick it up on this, but we're going to give you something to go out on. And it happened sure. to become the series finale. That's my guess. Uh, that makes sense. We just don't know with Ben Queen because Drive didn't have this. Drive just kind of ends in the middle of an arc. So who's to say? And there's no information on the show's history. It's one of the other big tragedies of, of 13 out of 13. It's like we can only assume how a lot of these things ended, right? We don't always yeah. know. Right. Um, I think that the, the framing device really sets this episode apart um, as like narratively interesting and clever. And also like, you know that this is all going to matter because it's not just happening to present. We're looking back on this decision. So clearly something important came up uh, uh-huh. through all of this. And that framing device is bringing a character to the forefront who we've talked about and who's kind of been simmering, which is like Zelda probably has a boss. And we know that Rashida Jones is an EP on this show and has directed an episode or, or co-written an episode. I don't remember. So she's probably Zelda's boss. And she's introduced. And we're in her big fancy office. She's eating her dinner right before the end of the, like they go home for the day. And she's asking mm-hmm. Zelda, hey, like, what's your decision? We have like a career move for you. And so the episode is basically Zelda explaining the moments leading up to her choice to go to New York City. Uh, for promotion yeah. to partner at this law firm, which is huge, you know, classic. Yeah. I get a new job, right. I'm going to move to a different city thing. Um, But meanwhile, on Andrew's side, I mean, this is great for one reason, mainly. Well, two reasons. One, Rashida Jones is just fun. Uh, two, Zelda is the, cent- the narrative center of the plot for once, not Andrew, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way right. that the show should have been doing way more often. Um, yeah. And Andrew's plot is just, like, so frustrating to me for this episode because his ex, Madeline, uh, who we, at the beginning of the episode, believe is engaged, um, is, is, quote, crashing at his place for a while. And, you know, we're with Zelda. We're, like, doing this back and forth of, like, is that weird? Should I feel weird or am I being jealous? Am I being childish? Is this bad that I feel this way? Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, she's entirely right because Madeline's no longer engaged. She mm-hmm. is interested in Andrew, and she is trying to get with him. So all of Zelda's fears, and by extension, the viewer's fears, are validated because Andrew's too oblivious to realize that Madeline is, like, making moves on him. Right. This the, is not a very yeah, nuanced kind of. portrayal of a woman of Madeline. I don't like the Madeline character very much at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But yeah, what's Andrew's decision here? Like, if you know that she's engaged... This is a this should be a hard like maybe maybe not maybe don't stay with me even that, and then when she's like my engagement was annulled you got it you can't this is weird, this is a little weird like staying like several nights in your apartment super with you? weird well the thing that's super super strange about it is Andrew being like hey so my friend yeah don't worry like. We dated before, but she's engaged. She's going to stay for a while. Is that cool? Zelda's like, yeah, totally. And Andrew says, okay, cool. She's landing tonight. Like, (laughs) why didn't he mention this way sooner? Mm -hmm. It's such a weird thing that isn't even part of the discussion of what's odd about this. And then, yeah, the fact that he doesn't mention information that he's aware of at that point in the call, which is that... Like, if he's saying, oh, she's engaged, knowing that her engagement has just been broken off and the reason she's coming is because she's sad, mm-hmm. like, Andrew lied about it and that's not really addressed. I don't know. It's just, 
the whole thing is just like a stinky situation. Um, like the letter D. That, like the letter D, that's right. Mixed, mixed feelings about D. <laughs> um, yeah, so like we're giving them a genuine crisis that could break them up, uh, which they needed to have so that they could have the kind of like come back together moment. But this feels like a little too uh much like Andrew's making a bad the bad choice here <laughs> in a way where it's like, hey, I don't know, buddy. I don't know about that one. So a simple question. If your ex came to town, you would tell your girlfriend immediately. If she was like, hey, if your ex was like, hey, can I can I uh, stay with you because I'm sad that my engagement just got broken off? Yeah, I think I'd mention it before <laughs> the day that she's landing in the city. I would, I mean, and this is weird because for <laughs> once I'm the queer person being like, even I, like, usually I'm like, are the straight people okay? I say that about every episode of this show. And yet this is one thing where I'm like, no, no, no. The straight people need to figure out that how that this isn't okay. Like, they're not understanding that this is bad. Uh, and we, like, I, you gotta, like, find her a hotel or something, buddy, or help her find, stay up with another friend. Like, you can be nice without bringing yeah. her into your home. It just feel, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm a little bit conservative about this, but that just seems bad across the board. And he's right, and or rather, Zelda is right. She is trying to get with Andrew, so that's what the show's getting at with this whole Madeline thing. She's shoving her butt in his face. She shows him her butt. We talk a lot about her butt and flat butts. The word butt is said like seven times in this episode. Uh-huh, right. So much a comedy about the guys all feeling jilted and the girls all feeling jealous. It's such a gendery episode with all of that stuff in the office. Yeah. The politics of that. Um, yeah. But I think ultimately where it matters is the inciting incident, which is that Zelda learns that Andrew basically dropped the same line on Madeline. She confronts Madeline and is like, hey, are you trying to sleep with Andrew? She's like, yeah, totally. When we were dating, he told me that I was the one and that fate said that we were going to be together. And right. Zelda's like, oh, fuck. That's not fate. That's just a line he's been using. Uh, mm-hmm. This seems like a problem. And she calls him. And you just this is when Ben Feldman and Kristen Milioti finally get to act their asses off in this phone call scene. Yeah. Where it's like. What did you mean by that? Uh, I mean, I'm I, I I said that, but I mean it for you. And she's like, "How the fuck am I supposed to believe that? I have no reason to believe right. you anymore." Yeah. And the line that caught me the most was, uh, "This job is a sure thing, and I don't want to turn it down for something that isn't." Right. I was like, "Oh shit, you've you've it's the mo- the the tragedy of like long term relationships is when you walk yourself into a corner like that." And you can no longer talk through it. Because Andrew and Zelda have gone pretty good about talking through their problems. But this is a, like, you went from my my rock and my stability to, like, another boyfriend. And the last thing that Zelda, a woman who's been traumatized by, like, people leaving her life and, like, denying her affection. And you've become another one of those. Of course she's going to take this job. Right. It's, like, really heartbreaking. And I would, yeah. for a minute, I did think that was how the show was going to end. Mm. Yeah. And Andrew does... He also says in that scene, like, well, I can't guarantee that we're going to be together forever, which is just, like, not the thing that you say in that conversation. My roommate literally Um, goes, that's not what you're supposed to say. (laughs) (laughs) But it it does – what I really like about this conversation is it feels believable. Um, It feels like one of those sorts of conversations that happens when you're in a relationship that's just, like, running into trouble and – 
you have a moment that could be the end of things or you could like try to give it a redo and fix it and repair. Um, so like, I do think a lot of that stuff is plausibly like their whole kind of rift here feels pretty plausible to me. Um, but I think the parts of it that are a little harder for me to suspend my disbelief for are the context of the rift, which is just like, you would have told her about this a little bit sooner. Um, and like this Madeline character is like a cartoon trying to get with my boyfriend lady, which mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense. And then the thing, uh, like my kind of critique of this overall is I could tell you what Zelda's arc is in this episode. And maybe that's what matters because this is her episode really um, from the way that it's set up. Uh, she's sort of like, like you're saying she's been burned before but she's choosing to forgive and she's choosing to trust again and that's like a really scary thing for her to do but she's embracing that and she's going to like make this relationship a thing that she needs it to be i couldn't tell you what andrew like how he's growing here you know Not at all yeah exactly because he makes a big a big whoopsie and then he's a jerk about it and he like doesn't meaningfully address this whole meant to be thing. I guess he kind of does when he's tries to call her and he's like, look, maybe there's no such thing as meant to be, but like, uh, I want to be with you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And it's the thing that has been kind of bugging me about A to Z throughout, which is it's a show that clearly wants to, in some ways, deconstruct these like classic rom-com narratives of like, I saw you from across the way in your silver dress and it was meant to be and like forever, like we're going to be together forever. And it kind of wants to like chip away at that, but it also really wants to hold on to that and for those things to still be true. And it like needs those, that sort of destiny storytelling to make the thing feel good because mm -hmm. Zelda walks back in at the end with the silver dress on and you're supposed to be like, pumping your fist in the air like oh. yes yes they did it like the millennial whoop is back like fuck yeah we're doing this and you're kind of like ah, but is this if the whole episode is about how we're trying to kind of move past being the guy like andrew who's saying meant to be to every single woman that he's with mm -hmm. to then reaffirm but this time it is meant to be it's kind of like are you mm. sure that that's the lesson um well i think that's like what the what that's what i like about the finale is that it's not a clean happy ending for them true 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 because the katie seagal does not say the time remaining at the beginning of the episode uh yeah. she ends the series saying that they have four months three weeks and five hours left and you know you mentioned previously that that could just mean that they pull the wool over our eyes and say it's four months three weeks whatever until they get married or until that right. they until they propose, but that could also just mean that this is the first serious fight that they had, and it goes worse from here. It could happen. True. Uh, yeah, and I guess that is leaving the door open. Maybe it is written that way to be ambiguous. Um, yeah, that's fair. 
but we don't know. We 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 don't get to know, and that's the, the again the tragedy of uh, thirteen uh, under thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other stray notes, though. Um, well, as we get to that, that sort of conclusion, that stunning moment, that that's supposed to be a fist pumping moment. Uh, Zelda goes to New York briefly. We get this like weird CG New York set. There's another uh-huh. guy. There's another man who's like making bad jokes, and then she looks out her window and looks down, and there's another office. And it's another Andrew, but he's not her Andrew. And she says when she mm-hmm. comes back, quote, I didn't like the view from my office. As they kiss yeah. to the song, the millennial whoop song that they heard when they first met. And <laughs> I think this is a conclusion that the show doesn't. It kind of earns because it's been one season and we remember the whole Silver Dress one. But it also felt like it would hit a lot harder if we had it's been longer, if we'd been going yeah. longer than this. Right. Uh. I want to talk about some other brief things that go on here. Uh, we learn a bit of character fun stuff that Dinesh, for example, uh, moonlights as a DJ, DJ Dr. Dinesh, <laughs> which made me remember turntable.fm, dude. Oh, man. R.I.P. R.I.P. Friendships made and broken on the battlefield that was turntable.fm. Such a wonderful service. A website that for folks who don't know, you could basically log on. And you and any friends you gave the invite to could, like, your little avatars would sit in a lobby in your web browser and just play mm. music for each other, which, yeah. in hindsight, like, of course it couldn't last. We were playing licensed music for each other, but it was so cool. And you could, like, get on a Skype call and be like, oh, I like this Bare Naked Lady song. Yeah, that's fun. It's gone before it could really do anything big, though. Sad. Yeah. Um, Again, I didn't really like the person playing Madeline, Madeline that much. I just think that they... Just have this thing with women where they always be shopping or lying and Zelda's right for not trusting her. (laughs) (laughs) Every woman is either a desperate, like Steffi being like in a Cockney accent with like messy hair or whatever, or they're like a villain. And it's like, I guess Laura's not that necessarily. Laura's doing great. Laura comes out of the show great. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah. The, the gender politics of this finale are, are pretty messy for sure but i mean the show is fun and um before we give it a wrap do you have any like straight notes about this one i'm really i'm really struggling after that andrew zelda firecracker of an ending (laughs) i was like oh there's other stuff i guess okay Uh, yeah there's uh i like the gag where Madeline like touches Andrew's arm while she's meeting Zelda and then Zelda like strokes his whole face. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like a she's like fresh. Going too far. I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I also laughed at the DJ Dr. Dinesh stuff and at how uh Zelda's ex, like all the guys became friends with him. And I'm a Marine like, so I can of- get on the prices right. Yeah, that was just like kind of a fun moment of absurdity that I liked. Yeah. Um, but otherwise that that's it. Zelda has a line, Andrew, are you talking about fate with everyone? Do you just use the universe as your wingman? Which is like the best Zelda line of the uh-huh. show. Yeah. So such a sick thing to say to someone who might be about to be your ex. Uh yeah. And that's all. And then Rashid Jones is like, so you're taking a job, right? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're committing. And then they uncommit because they need to, They want to have a second season. Oops. Sorry. Yeah. R.I.P. A to Z. 
But John, final thoughts on the series. What did you think about it? Are you glad we watched it? Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm bummed that it's not better. Um, I remember it being something that was like underappreciated at the time. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it would have gotten better if it had been afforded more episodes. So it's a bummer to see it not last longer. But it's also not as good as I remembered it being. Um, But what I appreciated about us revisiting it is it was like a pretty good time capsule of 2014 and not just the kind of like, you know, accoutrement of like, oh, there's drones and we're using the Waze app or whatever. Yeah. But also, but also a, uh, time capsule of like the kinds of characters that we had in media in 2014 and the kinds of stories we were telling and um it was pretty interesting to to go back a decade and and take a look at this thing and see something that i kind of uncritically really liked you know when i was in college um and be able to sift through it and be like well you know these are the parts of it that i was like acculturated to enjoy and wasn't necessarily thinking about that critically and these are the parts of it that actually do hold up and are pretty silly and funny um so i appreciated this for for that reason but i definitely am walking out of this revisiting like i don't think i need to watch that again Mm -hmm. um because i have gotten what i need from that show yeah in a way the show kids like can stay forgotten I, I appreciate mm. it, and I think it it propelled the careers of like Milia and Feldman at least a little bit. Uh, I I think that Ben Queen just can't seem to get a hit, and ultimately, I, yeah, the reason this one does it like the reason Drive doesn't work is because they wrote a huge premise and filmed it on the fucking cheap, and it feels like the cheapest like laziest show ever, despite being like such a uh-huh. big concept. The it has the opposite problem. It is is like a really small concept show that they didn't do enough with. And didn't lean enough yeah. into like what worked, which was the comedy and the light improvisation and the character work and the drama of it. It just feels every episode feels rushed and every plot that is interesting, they go right over. And uh, I think that there's potential for it. I see why there was a fandom. I see why you liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad I watched it. It's a great portrait into what 2014 was like. And as somebody who's now like close to the ages of Andrew and Zelda... I actually empathize with a lot of the dating troubles that they're going through and that their friends are going through like really big time. But I also like, I wrote this in my notes. Like I'm kind of tired of watching shows that are echoing my life right now. Cause I kind of <laughs> just want to like live the rest of my twenties and like do it. And then yeah. in hindsight, see myself represented. Cause it doesn't always feel good to just see yourself on TV in sometimes less sure. than savory ways. Sure. But a good watch. And um, I'm ready to move on with uh, 13 under 13. So, yeah. Uh, with that, Magellan, I'm ready to tell you what we're watching next week on on chats. Yeah. What are we What are we watching? What's going on? Next time we are going to, from Los Angeles to New Gotham City as we begin Chats of Prey, a podcast covering the canceled DC Universe series. Attempting to tie into the Michael Keaton Batman movies, Birds of Prey. Uh, this is the Birds of Prey from 2002. It's available on Tubi, at least in the United States. It's the one with Ashley Scott, Dina Meyer, and Rachel Scarston. 
Uh, I have heard of nobody on this show at all. Oh, I just actually read somebody who's in it, and I just blew my mind. Oh, my God. Never mind. We do know somebody who's on this show. Birds of Prey. Next week on Chats of Prey, we're watching Pilot. Paraplegic Batgirl and the daughter of Batman and Catwoman welcome a wayward teenage girl in a quest to stop a madman from destroying new Gotham City. God, the 2000s vibes are going to be so good. Next up is episode two, Slick. The birds seek a cop killer that is able to liquefy himself and discover a hidden agenda involving arms shipments. Unknown to him, <laughs> unknown to them, the mastermind is right under their beaks. Their beaks! The birds of prey! Oh my god. All right, this is, sure, sure, sure. This is the show that we literally know the least about, folks, before watching it. This might be complete dog shit. Uh, and I. Why did you pick it? Because I want to watch a superhero thing. Okay. And it, okay I like, okay. but maybe we can watch the Birds of Prey like 2019 movie, and maybe that's good. I mean, I don't think it's going to be boring. It was attempting to be a crossover with the fucking Michael Key. It's on the WB. It's probably corny as hell and odds as hell. What else do we like? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, so it's, yeah, Oracle Huntress and Batgirl fucking hanging out in leather and odds clothes and excited about it. Mm-hmm. Ah, but for now john where can people find you on the podcast here you can find me on another podcast called super smash echoes it's a monthly video game podcast i do with my friend justin where we play games related to the super smash brothers franchise super smash echoes you can also read my writing on my newsletter which is called not that magellan you can find that at not that magellan.substack.com alan what about you I'm on a couple podcasts over on scanlinemedia.com. You can hear me on The Creature Quorum, a podcast where my friend Six and I and sometimes our friend Minoski talk about the monsters of Monster Hunter and the creatures of Pokemon. Uh, I think our most recent episode covering the a, uh, a Johto Quorum episode um, is one of our funniest. It's kind of a hard show to sell, but it's been uh, really fun and we make each other laugh a lot. And that's like my ultimate goal as a podcaster sometimes is just to make my co-host laugh a lot. and. Uh, I do that a lot on on the quorum. So check it out on Scanline Media. And if you want my more serious fare, uh, I co-host Talking Marketing with a bunch of other folks over at amaboston.org. Um, talking Marketing every other month. I mean, usually I, but sometimes other folks interview marketing professionals about their work, their craft, and why they're all really into running. I really should just like like uh, canonize that as the <laughs> like the, the press the summary of it. <laughs> I have so many fun episodes for that planned. We're planned out into June, so nice. uh, get hype for that. Uh, both of us can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that, Magellan, can you give us our last plug zone of Ada Chatsy? I sure can. You can get in touch with the show in a few different ways. You can email us at chatspot at gmail.com with your questions, your comments, your concerns, your requests to be on an episode of Birds of Prey if you'd like to join us for that show. All you have to do is ask, okay? Um, And then we'll say, yeah, come on, come on, do it. You can also follow us or talk to us on Twitter at chatspot. We're over there. Uh, That's the thing, chatspot. You can find some of our episodes over on YouTube. Uh, the channel is called Chats a Television Podcast. And you can also find some other information about the show over on our website, chatspod.com. You can get in touch with fellow listeners on our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash chatspod, or on our Discord, which is a benefit for our patrons at $1 a month and up. At $3 a month and up, you get access to twice-monthly bonus content, one episode chosen by us, one episode chosen by 
uh, by chance with suggestions from our listeners. And then at $5 a month and up, you get thanked right here at the end of our main feed episode. So thank you, as always, to Stefan Six, Pat and Nick of the Brothers at Infinite War, Michael, Marcus, my mom, Lee, Kat, Justin, Jen, and Arthur. You can support the show without money by rating us on podcast uh, apps, platforms, uh, catchers, whatever. And you can also suggest the podcast to a friend. That would be lovely. And of course, support our good friend at Camillustrator, who created our podcast art, uh, wherever you can find her on the socials. Alan, we like to end these episodes with little suggestions and recommendations for the folks. We call them chatsums, like the Vlasic snackum, the small pickle. So what's your small pickle that you want people to snack on between now and next time? I was actually at the supermarket today looking for Vlasic snackums with the hope of eating one on air, and I couldn't find them. Oh, gosh. No Vlasic representation at my local market, but uh, there were other like Goodbye pickles. Lenin, where he couldn't find those old Soviet pickles. Oh, my God. It's exactly like Goodbye Lenin. Can I sub-chat some Goodbye Lenin, which you can hear our commentary on over on patreon.com. Yeah. God, that movie was so good. Holy so, crap. Damn, it was good. I actually am chat something two other movies that I watched this week. Oh, great. Okay. Okay, one of them is a soft chatsum. It's 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, which is the second film in the Cloverfield franchise. I don't know why I asked my roommate and his girlfriend to watch this with me. I think I was just bored on Friday, and I wanted something a little thrilling, a little short, a little just interesting. And I definitely got that. I, you know, I've never watched the first Cloverfield. Uh, I love John Goodman. And I wanted to go into that movie with knowing as little as possible. And it surprised me. It was entertaining. Jagumin's amazing in it. It's got some light bit of commentary, social commentary, without being heavy-handed. And while the ending is extremely messy, I think it solidifies itself as one of the better modern like horror thrillers. Uh, not like an unbelievably good film, but definitely a good time, especially if you're watching it with some folks. That's Ten Cloverfield Lane. And my big, my big hearty chat some is to, in general, explore the realm of Bollywood cinema. Um, a friend of mine has recently been really into a lot of Bollywood and has keep pushing me to watch this one movie, Jab We Met, J-A-B We Met. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's a Bollywood film from 2007. Gorgeous, gorgeous film. So colorful, so full of life and energy. Very simple, almost similar to Before Sunrise in its premise, in that two young people meet on a train and fall in love. The difference being that the woman, uh, Geet, is going to elope with a man who she thinks loves her. And uh, Aditya, the guy, uh, is leaving his family because he's unhappy with his family situation. And he's like this you know, young, rich mogul son or whatever. And they kind of learn about each other and, and like understand each other's situation. And I just think it's a very beautiful portrayal of like a good healthy relationship where you know she's very energetic he's very depressed early on some stuff happens there's a time skip and when they come back he is the one who's like hey your life is you know you need to do more to make yourself happy and like fight for yourself and it's very emotional and i watched it on valentine's day by myself and i had a wonderful time so i highly recommend jab we met and just in general uh taking a dip in the world of uh of bollywood cinema John, what about you? Uh, my chatsum this week is for a board game. Um, so my friend uh, Carson, good friend of mine, we both love board games, card games, and we both really enjoy when you can find a, a card game with a small box, something that's like really fun but is super portable. 
So I wanted to recommend this game that he introduced me to the other day called Innovation. Um, and essentially, Innovation is a card game that's like competitive tech tree building, like the way that in Civilization, you know, you build your tech tree as your civilization grows. Um, what if that kind of concept was what the game was? And the whole point of Innovation is to um, try to like, it's an engine builder, if that's meaningful to people who like board games, uh, where you're trying to like get a combination of tech that helps you to earn points and stuff quicker than other people. And you can mess with other people and make them do stuff if you have more of a certain kind of resource. And uh, it's fun. It, it's uh, for people who like that kind of theming um, and who like, again, a card game that can fit in a, a pretty easily portable box. I, I'd give Innovation a, a recommend. Innovation, the board game. Yeah. I'll check this out. I'm collecting board games like I'm a little squirrel coming, getting ready for the winter. Mm -hmm. Why did I just Google the word innovation after this if that was going to give me it? Ugh. I did the same thing. <laughs> I, got a, I got a JPEG of a light bulb. I'm like, I'm stupid. <laughs> Here we go. I found it. Oh, 2010. Good year. Good year. A good year to be bored. But um, thanks, Majan. <laughs> Thank you. you so much for being the A. Thank you for being the M to my A. Have we said that one yet? Because I like that. Mm. Mm. Thank you all so much for listening to A to Chat C. We've been Alan and Magellan. We'll be back next week with Birds of Prey. And good night. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.